just want to uh, look, if we look ahead, I know our youngest kids have left the room. If we look ahead 10 days from now, just 10 days away, you know what it is. It's Christmas Day, just 10 days. Think about it this way. Let's look back 355 days ago. What was it? It was Christmas. It was Christmas 355 days ago. I don't want to look back that far. I want to look back six weeks. Six weeks ago, we began going through the book of Titus together. Titus in the New Testament of our Bibles. And we did this series. And and today is the last day of it. I just want to do a quick review of where we have been. If you remember, a guy named Paul, one of the 12 apostles, Paul wrote this letter to a guy named Titus. Titus was the pastor of a church on an island of Crete. And in just a little bit, I'll have a a map, and you'll be able to see where that island is in the Mediterranean Sea. Paul and Titus had started the church there. Paul left after a brief time. Titus remained there, and Titus was the pastor. And after a time, Paul wrote this letter to Titus, giving him some instructions. And in chapter 1, he gave him instructions about what to do with leaders in the church, how to establish leaders in the church. And also in chapter 1, he talked about false teachers in the church and to expose the false teachers and to oppose the false teachers. Then in chapter 2, chapter 2 was all about godliness outside of the church. Church members, church attenders, church people living godly lives outside the church. If you remember, chapter 2 was all about that. Then last week, the beginning of chapter 3 was about the mercy of God to make us the church. And last week we celebrated communion together. We remembered the mercy and grace of Jesus poured out to us together. We looked at the mercy of God. And then today, our very last day, in the book of Titus, end of chapter 3, we're going to look at unity in the church. Paul addressed this whole issue and idea of unity in the church. And i got to tell you, I feel like I could be an expert in church disunity. Not because I've caused it, but I'm telling you what, I have seen it. In over 30 years as a pastor... And prior to that, growing up, going to church, being a believer as, a, as, a, as like a nine-year-old, I have observed all kinds of disunifying actions take place in the church. Today we're going to look at how people cause disunity in the church and how leaders cause disunity in the church. And I've seen both. I've seen people in the church gossip and undermine unity in the church by this backbiting against each other, against leaders. I've seen people in the church try to manipulate to get their way in the church by withholding money or making threats. I've seen pastors be divisive and cause disunity. I've seen pastors who just are in it for the power. They want this power. I've seen pastors, seriously, I've seen them firsthand manipulate people and lie to people, and lie about people. I've been in a meeting before where the deacons in a church asked the pastor to resign because he was doing some things behind their back. And I saw that meeting get heated. I saw a pastor slam his hand on a table, causing disunity. 
I was in a business meeting one time where um, the head trustee in the church didn't like some changes the pastor was doing. So in that meeting, he got up and he was pointing his finger and walking towards the pastor, making threats at that pastor. Then the head deacon got up and stood between them and started making threats at that trustee. Then shortly after that, a different trustee threatened me. He said, if you ever try to pull what that pastor pulled, I'm going to personally kick your something. Seen all kinds of things. I've been in business meetings where I've seen people try to hijack those business meetings. I've seen elders arrogant and proud and refusing to admit their mistakes when they were clear mistakes. I've seen all these different things. I feel like I could be an expert when it comes to disunity. This whole idea of unity is important in the church. Why is it important? I want to go to some of Jesus' final words before he was crucified. Maybe about nine, ten hours before Jesus was nailed to the cross. In John 17, he was praying. He was praying for his disciples. He was asking the Father to protect them. Protect them from the enemy. And then in verses 20 through 23, Jesus said these specific words. I pray also for those who will believe in me. He's talking about us in the future. People who will believe in me. I'm praying for the church down the road. That all of them may be one. That the church would be one. That the believers would have unity. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When the church is unified... When we are one, when we have unity, it helps the world to believe in Christ. It endorses the gospel. It supports evangelism when we live in unity, in one. Verse 22, Jesus said, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, that they will have unity, just as we are one. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you have sent me, And you've loved them even as you have loved me. When we have unity, when we're living together in unity, when we're unified, when we're united, then it helps the world to see the gospel. It helps the world to see the love of God for us and for them. Unity contributes to evangelism. Disunity hinders evangelism. And Paul wraps up his letter to the people in Titus, to the pastor of the church on the island of Crete, by reinforcing this prayer that Jesus made in John 17, by addressing this whole idea of church unity. It's important. It helps us to live godly, and it helps the lost to meet Jesus. So let's look at this last little bit of Titus, starting in verse 8. Paul writes, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. What's he talking about here, this trustworthy saying? Well, he's actually referring back to verse 7. We looked at it last week. Verse 7 talked about the grace of God. The grace of God is a trustworthy saying. These teachings about the grace of God are trustworthy, and they lead people who trust in God to devote themselves to doing good. To living godly. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. It benefits everyone when we teach the grace of God. Verse 9 then. He says, Don't get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees. And the, let me point out this word foolish here. 
This word foolish is, is the word moros. It's where we get the word moron from. So this is not just a foolish discussion. This is a moronic discussion. These are stupid. These are useless discussions. Don't get involved in these useless, stupid, moronic discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These are useless. These discussions are a waste of time. Now, this word useless that's in this verse here, this is only used twice in the entire Bible. This word, only used twice. It's used here, and it's used in Hebrews 7, 18. And Hebrews 7, 18 says that the old priesthood is useless because we have a new high priest. It's Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. He's our mediator between us and between God. The old priesthood is useless. And these discussions about old Jewish laws are useless. We are under a new covenant through Jesus, not these old Jewish laws. What was going on here on the island of Crete and in the church is there were some believers who were Jewish. They were Jewish converts to Christianity. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to integrate this new faith in Christ, God's mercy, God's grace. They were trying to integrate this new uh, faith in Christ with their old Jewish religious laws and their old Jewish rituals. They were saying, if we're going to believe in Christ, yes, we faith in Christ alone, but also you've got to get um, circumcised also. It's faith in Christ plus some of these old Jewish rules. Yes, it's, it's faith in Christ, but you've got to, you can't eat shellfish, you can't eat pork, you've got to observe these old Jewish rules too. And they were trying to integrate them. And what they were doing is they were saying, because we've been circumcised, because we don't eat this other food, we're better than everybody else. We're for, we've got Jewish blood in our veins, we're first class Christians. The rest of you guys, you're second class. They thought they were higher. They thought they were better because of their Jewish pedigree. And Paul was telling them, it's moronic. That's stupid. That's foolish. And these discussions that you're having, that's a waste of time. They're useless, is what Paul was saying here. Verse 10, he says, If people are causing divisions among you, if they're causing disunity in the church, give a first and a second warning. In other words, correct them. Warn them once, warn them twice. After that, if they continue to cause disunity, have nothing to do with them. So first you correct them, and then you discipline them. Why do we do that? Why do we take people out of the church? Don't we love those people? By causing disunity, they're undermining evangelism. They're keeping the lost lost and apart from Christ. Verse 11 says, For people like that, they've turned away from the truth. And their own sins condemn them. So divisive people, they cause disunity in the church. And what they do is they believe a lie, that they're better than everybody else. And they're living a lie. They've turned from the truth. And Paul says they are living in sin. They're keeping lost people from coming to Christ. Well, Paul closes out this letter to Titus uh, with some personal information that we're going to read here. In verse 12, he says, I'm, I'm planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at Nicopolis. For I've decided to stay there for the winter. Well, who, who are these guys? 
Well, Artemis, I did a little research, he was actually the bishop of Lystra. Lystra was a city that was in Asia. If, if you know where Turkey is today, Lystra was in Turkey. And Artemis was the bishop there. He was an experienced church leader. And then Tychicus, he was a, he was a companion of Paul's. Uh, Paul took three missionary journeys. On his third one, Tychicus went with him. When Paul was in prison, Tychicus stayed with him. Tychicus was a man of maturity. He was a guy that in 2 Timothy 4.12, Paul sent him to help Timothy with the church of Ephesus. Why? Because Tychicus was mature. He was experienced. He was a church leader. So what Paul's saying here is, hey, I'm going to send you these two great church leaders, Artemis and Tychicus. They're going to come, and they're going to help lead the church at Crete so that you can leave and join me and meet up with me at Nicopolis. You see, it's important to have strong church leaders. It's important to have experienced, mature pastors leading churches. It's real dangerous when churches hire young, inexperienced pastors right off the bat. There is a high turnover rate in young pastors in churches. It's important to have these solid, faithful, proven, mature pastors when Titus was gone. Verse 13 says, Do everything you can to help these two guys. First, it's Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos. Help them with their trip. See that they are given everything that they need. So, first of all, this guy, Zenos, not much is known about him. We know that he's an attorney. He's a lawyer. And Paul was arrested once, and he's soon going to be arrested again. And so maybe Paul wants him to come and help him with some of those legal troubles. We don't know exactly why. Now, Apollos, at the time that this was written, he'd been a believer for about nine years. He was a, a Jewish a uh, man who lived in Alexandria, Egypt, and he had come to preach in the, and help pastor in the church of Ephesus. He later became the bishop of Corinth. He was a mature guy also. So Paul's saying, hey, help these guys with their trip. They're going to be missionaries. And we want you to give missionary help to worthy people who are going to establish healthy disciple-making churches. Uh, Coming up next month in January, we'll have our business meeting, and we're going to start supporting our first missionaries here at Freedom Bible Church. And we want to follow this lead by giving missionary help to worthy people who advance healthy and help establish disciple-making ministries. So that's these guys. Well, we mentioned this place, Nicopolis. Nicopolis. Here it is. Uh, They're on the island of Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Paul says, meet me in Nicopolis. Come and meet me there after those two guys come. This is where we're going to meet at, in Nicopolis. Final words, verse 14. Paul says, our people, they must learn to do good. And remember, that's what, what Titus was about, godliness, living and doing good. Our people, they've got to learn to do good. And this is how you do it, by meeting the urgent needs of others. And he's talking about Apollos and Zenos here meeting the urgent needs of others, then they will not be unproductive. In other words, you see the double negative here. If you do this, you'll be productive. Then he says, everyone here sends their greetings. Please give my greetings to the believers, to all who love us. May God's grace be with all of you. 
an amen to that. And we're going to jump right in, and we're going to see how Paul addresses this issue, this important issue of church unity, and he does it by identifying four things that contribute to disunity in the church. And like I said, two of these things are related to people in the church. Two of these things are related to leaders in the church. First of all, it's about people. Um, People who argue and quarrel contribute to disunity. Verse 9 says, don't get involved in foolish discussions or quarrels. And it's funny that this word discussions is used. Because this word for this word discussion, that's too light of a word. This word for discussion actually means uh, a dispute, a heated argument. They were getting in arguments about genealogies, about their old Jewish faith. He wasn't talking here about a theological discussion, a theological discussion about God's word that can help us to know God better so that we can serve God better. That type of thing, that's profitable. That's useful. That's a discussion. He's talking here about an argument, a quarrel, about pedigree. Who's better? Who's more important? And Paul's saying those things are useless. They're moronic. Those are foolish. They're stupid. They're unprofitable. Those things contribute to disunity. And it pushes the lost people away from Christ. Now, how does this relate to our church today? to the church in North America today. What are some examples of some foolish discussions, some moronic discussions and arguments that take place? Well, I would suggest that in the church life, in the life of the believer, having arguments about politics is going to get you nowhere. It's useless. And when, when I have fellow believers who will make Facebook posts and demeaning the other political party that they're not a part of, that gets you nowhere, and that hinders evangelism. It hinders your friends, whoever of a different political party, from coming to Christ if you have a believer demean them and criticize and push and put down these political parties. It just it, it's it's a foolish argument. It hinders evangelism. Now, are we allowed to have our political opinions? Of course, I do. I'm very conservative. I'm very cons- but. I disagree probably with every stinking politician that's out there on something, on something that they do. But having those arguments about them, it creates disunity. Have you ever had a discussion about what's the proper attire to wear to church? There's actually people who have discussions about that. I've been told before personally, you know what? You should dress better for church. Because my mother told me when I was growing up that you should always wear your best to church. And I'm like, man, God gave me a different mother than he gave you. Why should I obey what your mom told you to do? And what are you doing as an adult trying to obey what your mom told you to do? And by the way, by the definition of best, only one can be the best. There's not co-Super Bowl champions. There's not co-number one in the college football poll. Only one can be the best. So unless you're wearing the same set of clothes every week, you're not wearing your best every week. The person didn't like that line of thinking. But sometimes we have arguments or discussions about that. Another one might be music styles in the church. We can't have certain music styles in the church. Now, when I was growing up, um, 
it was it was all hymns all the time. And some of you guys, the same thing, growing up, that's what it was all the time. So when we, when um, music started getting a little bit more upbeat, and you could clap to it or something, sometimes people would get people would get upset. And this is this is a real line of thinking that came out, and maybe you've heard this before in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that um, in some cultures, different cultures, that when there's there's dancing and there's and there's clapping and there's drums. That, that that was meant to, to as an incantation for evil spirits. And they'd call it the devil music. And they said that they honestly said that the syncopated beat, the offbeats, that's the jungle music. And I'm telling you what, you know what? I was just in Tanzania a month ago, and my friends in Tanzania, they don't clap on the offbeats. It's on the onbeats. It, it, it just it, it made, me, made me laugh. But we get in these foolish discussions. They're not profitable. They're useless, and they hinder evangelism. So discussions and debates about biblical things, that's okay. We want to discuss and learn and understand and change our lives and develop disciples. But quarrels and arguments, preferences and opinions about trivial things, that's useless, hinders evangelism, creates disunity. Second thing Paul said, that leads to disunity is people who don't contribute. Verse 14 said, Do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then you will not be unproductive. And we pointed out that double negative, you, the not be unproductive. So what it means is when I help other people in the church, when I engage in ministry in the church, when I contribute to the work of the church by doing the work of the church and giving to the work of the church, I'm productive. I'm promoting unity when I'm contributing. When I'm lazy and quarrelsome, and if I'm in it for me, I'm unproductive, not a contributor. It's divisive. And statistics show that in most churches, there's, there's an 80-20 principle. Uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's just Those are just the facts of, of how, it, how it goes. Some people are spectators. Other people are players. Some people are contributors. Others are consumers. And we want to be a church where we're all contributors. And it's all mutually beneficial. Now, there's some times in our lives when we're just, we're beat up, we're beat down, and we're like, you know what? I'm going to come, and I just need to get loved on and healed. And that's what the church is for, and that's what you need it for. But living in that condition for years on end, that's not beneficial for you. It's not beneficial for the church. By being contributors, that leads to unity. And Paul addressed this. Uh, he addressed it not just here, but he addressed this a few years prior when he wrote to the people in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And I'll read this to you. Paul said, it was he, and he's talking about Christ here. It was Christ who gave to the church. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Jesus gave the church pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists. He gave them to the church. Why did he do this? Verse 12. He did that so that they can prepare God's people for works of service. Why do people want to do works of service? Why do people want to do ministry? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So part of the, the, the job for pastors and leaders is equipping people, preparing people to do ministry, to contribute, to be involved in ministry. What are the benefits of ministry? It builds the church up. What are the results of building the church up? There's unity and also maturity. The church gets unity. Individuals get maturity as we serve and contribute and do this work of ministry. It leads to this great level of ministry. And remember back to John 17, that's what Jesus prayed for, for his church. That the Father would give us great unity so that the world may know and the world may see his love for them as we are contributors, not just consumers. Well, Paul pointed out two types of people, people that contribute to disunity, uh, people who are divisive and people who are these consumer people contribute to disunity. But also leaders contribute to disunity, and leaders contribute by not correcting people who are divisive. Verse 10 says, to warn a divisive person twice. And this word for, uh, for warn here, it doesn't mean just, oh, just correct them. It means to admonish them. Don't just correct them, but to admonish them. Stacy and I like to watch a television show on HGTV. It's called uh, House Hunters. Has anybody ever heard of that show? Or seen that show? You like that, Delaney? We have, and there's a there's a House Hunters International too, and I like to watch that, especially like if they're in Poland or something, so I can see some of the culture and heritage of, of my people. And we were watching a couple weeks ago, and there was this young couple. They had about a three or four year old little boy, and they were going to Belgium, and they were renting a house in Belgium, and and the guy forgot to get a realtor, so they were just looking stuff up online, and they were going, and the owner of the home was taking them around, and this little boy that they had, this little boy was not the most behaved little boy, not like Christopher or Jaden or Noah. This little boy, they'd go in the house, and um, the owner would take his shoes off, but they didn't get the hint. They didn't take their shoes off. And so this little boy was going around in Belgium, there's snow outside, getting you know snow, snow around. He's climbing on couches, climbing on beds, and the mom, the mom was saying, Oh, whatever the little boys was, oh, don't do that. Oh, you know, respect that property. Meanwhile, the camera would flash to the owner. He's like, ah, oh, I've got to stop this kid. See, what the mom was doing, they were correcting the little boy. Oh, don't get your feet on the furniture. But an admonishment or warning would be, you need to get off the furniture now, take off your boots and put them by the door. There's a difference there between a little correction and an admonishment. And what Paul's telling the leaders to do is there needs to be a firmness and sometimes a sternness to this admonishment. I was a youth pastor many years ago, and I started working at a church. And at this church, before I came there, there was one of their college students who was leading the youth ministry over the summertime. And the summertime, the youth group went to the local Hardee's in town and they got some food, and they were doing their youth group around all these tables at Hardee's, about 10 or 12 kids. And one of the guys in the youth group was taking all the salt and pepper shakers and turning them upside down. 
on all the tables that they were sitting at. He thought it was funny because the next person would come to get salt or pepper to shake it, and it, all the salt would pour out on the table. When he was doing this, the guy who was leading a youth group that summer, the college student, he said to them, guys, that's not nice. That was his correction. When I became the youth pastor there, and, one of, and that guy tried to do that, I said, hey, what are you doing? I'm trying to play a joke. No, that's not a joke. That's being selfish. That's being disrespectful. That's being wasteful. We're not going to do things like that. Put that salt and pepper shaker back upright, clean it off, and throw out the salt. That was correction. That was admonishment. That's the word that Paul was talking about here. You need to warn divisive people. Why so stern with people? Why so firm? Because they need to be corrected. It's things are going to go bad for people if they're going to be um, divisive and create disunity. Remember back to John 17. When Jesus was praying for unity, he was also praying for protection against the enemy because the enemy is the, root, is the source and the root of, di- of divisiveness. Satan wants us divided because he wants the lost world to stay lost. So if we are working towards uh, being, a div- or if we're being a divisive person, Satan is at work in our lives at the root of that. And so there needs to be an admonishment. There needs to be a warning. There needs to be a correction of a divisive person. A divisive person needs to repent and turn from that because this is a serious sin against the body of Christ. And so we admonish and correct because it protects the health of the church. Now you might ask the question, how often does this happen? How often do we have to correct people and warn people who are being divisive? And I can honestly say in my 30 years that I think I've had to do it four times. I was thinking through it this week, trying to remember, and I can think of four times that I personally had to correct people and admonish people for being divisive. Sadly, I've seen other leaders in ministries that I've been in not correct people. They just sort of let it go. They just sort of say, oh, that's not nice to do, and it led to other problems. Leaders who don't correct contribute to disunity. And finally, the last thing is that leaders who don't correct, I'm sorry, leaders who don't discipline. Leaders who don't discipline divisive people leads to disunity. Remember, verse 10 said, give them a warning, give them a second warning, and if they will still continue to be divisive, have nothing to do with them. That's called discipline. That's called church discipline. Jesus outlined this in, John, in Matthew chapter 18. Now, it might seem that's unloving. You're not being very loving by having nothing to do with this person anymore, by removing them from the church. But disciplining somebody who is living in sin and refuses to turn from that, that's the best thing you can do. The best thing you can do for a disobedient child is to discipline them. Because it saves them from a pathway of destruction. We're turning them back to a way of life, apart from going down a pathway to destruction. So if a person refuses to stop being divisive, they want to keep arguing, keep quarreling. They want to be unproductive and not contribute to the body, just be a consumer and a troublemaker. They've got to be removed. They've got to be disciplined. And it's the leader's job to make that happen. When leaders don't correct, when leaders don't discipline, it leads to disunity 
in the church. Remember, Jesus wants unity. One of the final things he prayed for while he was alive was for unity. Unity brings honor to him. And it helps bring people to him. It's important. just want to close today by pointing out you know, two things. And I think here at Freedom, we have enjoyed great unity. And what, what gives us unity, what brings us unity, is I'm going to suggest two things. It's the Master. That we have the same Master, and it's Jesus Christ. It's not me. It's not any leaders. It's not individuals. Jesus is our Master. He's the one who tells us what to do. We get our, and from Him, we get our mission. Our mission unifies us. We will always be about making disciples like Jesus, trying to teach His Word well, trying to make much of Him. And what happens is when people uh, get off course, thinking something else is our mission, that can lead to disunity. But these are the things that unify us. In this Christmas season, we want these things to unify us. Jesus Christ, His birth, Emmanuel, God with us. And what's His mission? We're using this season to celebrate Him, but also to reach lost people. Make disciples of everybody. Becoming disciples and making disciples is what we're about. So how do we do that this week? What's our pathway? Our, our memory verse this week to be these disciples is memorize that John 17:22, that verse that Jesus had prayed, where he said, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That's our memory verse this week. And then if you need a Bible reading plan, and I like the one that Chris and his family are using but from based on that um, the Casting Crowns song, To Make Room. But if you're looking for a Bible reading plan this week, uh, read Matthew 1 and 2, Getting Ready for Christmas. Next week we'll be preaching from Matthew 2. Read Luke 1 and 2, and then that John 17, that final prayer of Jesus for that unity. And then ask God to make you a person that contributes to the unity and maturity here at Freedom. Let's pray together. Father, it is a Christmas season. We do celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. And God, we pray that you will always be with us in this church, that we will enjoy great unity in this church, unified about Jesus, our Master, and about making disciples our mission. Uh, Keep us strong. Keep us unified that way, Father. Uh, And we pray for each of us as individuals that we would not be petty people, argumentative people, quarrelsome people, Lord, um, like the, the Jewish believers were, thinking they were better. God, we don't think we're better than anybody. In fact, we know our condition. We know we're a bunch of beggars and we found bread. We know that none of us are better than anybody else, Father. We know that we're humble servants of Jesus Christ. And we're humble brothers and sisters with each other, Father. Uh, Please keep us in that condition. Make us in that condition, Father. Uh, Pray that we wouldn't be quarrelsome. Pray that we wouldn't be argumentative, Father. Uh, Pray that we would all be contributors, Father. Pray that we would all be mutually beneficiaries of the fellowship that we enjoy. But we want to be all servants and, and do ministry here as well. Father, we pray for our leaders, that everybody in leadership, and as we appoint deacons tonight, Father, uh, that that our leaders, that we would be uh, humble leaders, godly leaders, uh, willing to confront any disunity, Father, willing to correct. And God forbid that we'd ever have to get to the place where we have to discipline, Lord, but we want to do things your way. Uh, Pray, God, your blessing on people this week. People are sick. People are suffering. Pray your your hand on everybody. And and we look forward to tonight, Lord, this sharing together, this praying together, this working together, and eating together. Look forward to our time tonight. Uh, We pray, Father, through Jesus. Amen.